What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's and the first one of 2023. We are three guys that just love giving out awards with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and it's the best night of the year because, sorry, Oscars, the best award show is starting right now. I'm Keith Baker, and I hope the gray man wins everything. And I'm Austin Terry. And before the night is over, I will slap one of my friends, Matthew or Keith. On today's show, you know, there's really no big preamble. There's no critical reception section. There's no cast and crew section. Uh, it's just our big Arn Academy Awards and our third annual one at that. So it's very exciting. The three of us each created some of our own nominees. Uh, you might see some repeats from years past. You might see some kind of uh, reconfigured ones. And then, of course, we have some brand new ones on here. Uh, we have some serious ones and we have some... Ones that just make us laugh. Um, like we said, we each come up with our own nominees. And then once we submitted uh, like a category, essentially, the three of us would then go ahead and submit our own nomination for said category. So the way the show actually works is we're going to go through each category. We're going to introduce you all to the nominees for that. And then we're going to kind of talk it through. Even though one of us will have created that category on our own and put in our own nominee, we got two other people here. So kind of how our bracket format shows work, we're going to have to vote and live essentially and determine who is the winner of that category and thus will take home their very own Arn Academy Award. Guys, did I leave anything out? No, I think you covered it all. And uh, this is one of my favorite episodes of the year. It's our only black tie event of the year. It's a great way to kick off the prior year. And Whenever we do this, I always think I've got such good nominees. And then my friends Matt and Keith put in their nominees and there's stuff I forgot about, stuff that's going to make me laugh. And I can't wait to get in and figure out who these winners are going to be. Yeah, I'm excited as well. I, I try to put a good amount of thought into these nominees that I uh, submitted by going through. Like, I'm like you, Austin. Like, I forgot what we've covered this year. So I had to go through our schedule and kind of remind myself, you know, what, what happened in all these shows and movies. So it was fun to kind of revisit all that and to find some good uh, things to laugh about and some good things to debate with you guys. Yeah, and before we get into it, that's a good last point to bring up um, because maybe you're listening to this and, you know, maybe we'll be doing one of our more serious categories or I guess even a funny one. And you might hear some nominees and you'll be like, I get they only had room for three, but really they left that one out. So, of course, there's going to be snubs, but uh, we can get around that a little bit because we actually only um, nominate things or people or whatever it may be from the movies, TV shows, or content that we actually covered and did a full episode on in this case in 2022. So, you know, for example, I watched Banshees of Inisherin recently, thought it was great. I probably would have nominated that for something, but we're not going to do that because we only talk about the stuff that we all three know for sure we have seen so we can have better conversation about it. And of course, I can't wait to find out who's going to win the staple of our award show, the honorary Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year. That award is one of the staples. So do you want to start with it? Should we save it towards the end? I mean, what do you think we should do? I think we should throw it in the middle somewhere, because I always like when we start off with kind of the, the best movie, the best TV, but uh, maybe we can just pop it on somebody in the middle of our show, because we don't want anybody turning away during the commercials. All right, everybody. Well, with all that out of the way, go ahead and get off the red carpet, you know, go to the bathroom, make sure your tie is looking good, make sure your dress is looking all fluffed in the way you want it. Go grab your seat, because it's time for the third annual Arn Academy Awards ceremony. All right, everybody, welcome in to the third annual Arn Academy Awards. 
I think we should start the only natural for our show, and that's the worst movie of the year. Uh, so let's get into that. And the nominees for the worst movie of the year are Halloween Ends, The Gray Man, and Morbius. Oof, we have three of kind of the worst of the worst here. I guess I'll shout out The Gray Man. I didn't think it was the worst of the year. I just thought it was boring. Uh, whereas Halloween Ends, they just made so many baffling decisions with this movie. I don't think there was any other movie I could have put into this category this year. So my opening is pretty simple. I am with Austin in agreement there that I did think the Gray Man was was frankly pretty terrible and like the definition of a waste of time. Like that was one of the few episodes we recorded this year where as we were like finishing it, like recording, I was genuine. I might even have said like this was a waste of our time, like watching that movie (laughs) and recording this like. There's no value for us and there's no value for our listeners. But its biggest sin was it was just boring. I kind of agree with Austin there. Now, here's why I think Morbius should get the win for the worst movie of the year. And it's because simply Halloween ends, I think, is incompetent on a writing level, much like Halloween kills. And I think you could make a pretty strong argument <laughs> that Morbius is incompetent in every category. <laughs> the acting is terrible. The writing is unbelievably just I don't know what to say about it. The editing makes the movie confusing. Uh, The direction leaves almost everything to be desired. (laughs) Um, I just think every aspect is horrific. Is Halloween ends also bad? Of course it is. But really, I think the writing is the biggest sin. I think the acting's still fine. I think some of the choices are interesting. The music's good. I can't say anything good about my old friend Michael Morbius. And he's a doctor. I think with Morbius, there's two things I can point to. I think Matt Smith is really good in the movie, and I like the way they use color. Halloween ends. There's not a single positive thing I can say about the film. It's one of the worst things I've seen in 10 years. All right. Well, I'm going to set up <laughs> I'm gonna set up Keith then, because it sounds oh, like even man. though Keith has a good nominee with the Gray Man, it seems pretty clear to me that Keith is going to be the tiebreaker here, because Austin and I basically feel the inverse about our nominees. We think there's nothing good about each other's picks. So Keith, it sounds like you're going to have to get in here and determine what you think is the worst of the year. I'll jump into Halloween ends first. Austin, you're right. It's very bad. And the writing was terrible. The story did not go in a direction that we all three wanted to go into, you know, after enjoying some of the Halloween movies previously. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, I don't know why her character just seems to be more cringy as it goes on. There wasn't really any Halloween moments in it, like classic Halloween moments of him just going around town and and, and and getting some good scares in. There was none of that. And then Morbius, uh, yeah, I don't even know where to even go into there. I think you nailed it, Matt. It's just bad all around. Jared Leto is super cringy the whole time. I'm a doctor or intriguing. <laughs> intriguing. Um, <laughs> I think I know where I'm going to vote. Halloween ends and Morbius are definitely neck and neck, but I think Morbius will take it. Only because we have made way more jokes about Morbius and how bad it is, more so than the Gray Men Halloween combined. Well, all right. For our first award of the night, uh, the winner for the worst movie of the year is Morbius. And by the way, Michael Keaton's not in the movie if you're still watching those trailers. Yeah, I was going to say that we should send him, I think, the award. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That seems fitting. All right, guys. We had an award last year, and I can't remember what it was called, but I think this is pretty close to it. This is the 2022 Pay Your Writers Moment of the Year Award, and the nominees are Halloween ends for choosing to tell a story about some guy named Corey instead of Michael Myers. The majority of 3,000 years of longing. And Obi-Wan Kenobi's writer's room having to figure out how to force meetings between Obi-Wan and both Vader and young Leia despite knowing what happens in A New Hope. 
Yeah, I don't know what the writers were thinking during the creation of Halloween Ends. Uh, how do you take Michael Myers and not make him the main character, or at least the main villain of your movie? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. They must have had some replacement writers. They must have not been willing to pay the good writers from Halloween, from the first Halloween in 2018. Uh, so wherever they were, they were not paying their writers, and this is the story we ended up with. 3,000 years of longing. Don't have much to say in this movie. They had some cool sh- short story montages that were fun, um, but then it quickly went downhill, I think, in the second half. Uh, where it was just kind of dragging and things weren't making sense anymore. None of the, I guess, science or whatever was up with Idris Elba's character uh, was adding up. I can't remember this movie as, at all. I just remember <laughs> it went downhill very quickly and I did not enjoy it. Yeah, and mine, if I recall, the whole pay the writers uh, thing that we did started whenever we were reviewing the Bond movies and we got the Quantum of Solace we were talking about like the writer's strike and how it like that was kind of an excuse for all the really confusing writing moments throughout the movie. So whenever we talked about like or like we've repeated pay your writers, it's always because there is just something so confusing, baffling and bad happening on the screen. And I don't think any moment this year or last year, I guess I should say, embodied that more than Obi-Wan Kenobi because like I didn't love Three Thousand Years of Longing, so I, I can't go as far as Keith on that one. But when it comes to something like Halloween Ends, I can certainly um, see that fitting in a bit better. I can justify it a little bit since it is the third like new Halloween movie, so I guess they want to do something different, and they want they were trying to play with the whole element of like this trauma just impacting Haddonfield for so long because of Michael Myers that now it's like directly infecting someone else. I don't love that they did it, but. Whatever. The thing that makes Obi-Wan kind of like a special case to me is because we know what happens in Revenge of the Sith and we know what happens in A New Hope, right? So they chose to tell a story in the middle. And by doing so, you can get all technical about it. It's still so stupid to me (laughs) that he's like become best friends with Leia now, even though they kind of imply that they're meeting somewhat for the first time in A New Hope. And then Darth Vader. I mean, that's one of the most like iconic moments of all time, seeing Vader and Obi-Wan reunite in A New Hope. And it definitely, the dialogue in that original scene seems to imply they haven't seen each other since, you know, Mustafar, like their big battle. And then this show, they just play around with dialogue in like dumb ways to like force Obi-Wan and Vader to have like two big lightsaber battles and have like multiple scenes together. And then Vader just loses, and now it's, I feel like it's going to make A New Hope like worse when I watch it again. Whenever they meet again, it's like, why didn't Obi-Wan kill him in the Obi-Wan show then? <laughs> like, Whenever you force these characters to like meet up again, it makes Obi-Wan such like a, like a shitty character because he knows Anakin's gone, he doesn't kill him, and then he just lets Darth Vader go on his galactic rampage <laughs> before A New Hope. So this one, I feel like, retcons so many things that it's gonna, you know, I think hurt Star Wars just in general. And that's a pay the writers moment right there. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with Matt on this one. As much as I think the story they chose to tell in Halloween Ends is bad, um, it's bad writing. I think if anything else was going up against it, I would be voting for Halloween Ends. However, the fact that the writers on the Obi-Wan Kenobi show somehow have now made the original trilogy just seem kind of pointless and dumb now because of this story, uh, that's got to get my vote. It really is painful to say because I was really looking forward to this show. I'm a big Star Wars fan, Star Wars nerd, especially with this one you said. I think I think they could have had Vader in this show, but just have them separate the whole time. They didn't need to have them meet up at all. I think Obi-Wan finding out that Anakin was alive 
was good enough. Pretty disappointing. Um, where, where am I going to vote? I think I'm still, as, as much as this was disappointing in Obi-Wan, I think I'm still going to throw a vote towards Halloween ends, though. Uh, just because if some kid took on Michael's powers. So stupid. So I'm going to throw a vote to Halloween ends. Yeah, I really, really dislike Halloween ends quite a bit. Um, the only reason it's not going to get my vote is because I can see what they were going for. I didn't like it, but I can see what they were trying. Whereas something like Obi-Wan, I just don't really see beyond, I don't know, like what? Like fan service? Like, oh, let's have a young Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan fight Vader again. What if he met young Leia? Like, look, I didn't even dislike Obi-Wan as much as a lot of people, but some of that stuff is just fan service. So I can't even really see why they did it other than that. So to me, it's a bit more egregious. And man, they get, you got to pay your writers. You, you got to. So it gets my vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels cheap. All right. Well, with that, the 2022 Pay Your Writers Month of the Year is Obi-Wan Kenobi's Writer's Room. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. They'll all get one. <laughs> All right, I feel like a few of these have been pretty easy, but let's go ahead and run through the best television show of the year. And the nominees are Andor, Blackbird, and Severance. All right, we have three really good nominees here. Severance, I feel like, kind of took the world by storm when it released on Apple TV+. It told us this really interesting story. I think it would easily get my vote if Andor did not also come out after that show this year. Uh, Andor, for me, is hands down the best piece of media to come out this year. Um, it, it told this really interesting Star Wars story that made me think differently about that universe that has become kind of so familiar and so used to repeating things over and over. It had these super compelling characters. And for it being a weekly show in a world of streaming, it's the only show this year that came out that kind of made me excited every single week. And I just could not wait for a new episode of Andor. Um, so that is why I have submitted it for the best television show of the year. Nice. Yeah. Lots of respect to Andor. Lots of respect to all three of these nominees. This one's going to be kind of tough. Going into Blackbird, this was a fun miniseries, at times very disturbing miniseries to watch. Uh, it was very good, very well written. Man, I really do appreciate a good miniseries, and this was definitely one that I would recommend to anybody. Uh, with Taron Egerton and um, Paul Walter Hauser, God, both those guys together um, was, all, was all you need. Like, great chemistry, playing these true story, true life people. So it was really cool and really interesting and really dark and disturbing. So I had a good time with it. Yeah, this is definitely the hardest one of the night so far for me. I nominated Severance just because, like Austin said, it did take the world by storm, and I think for really good reason. Uh, you know, I shit on something like Morbius at the top of the show because I thought it was incompetent and bad in pretty much every category, whereas on the complete other end of the spectrum, you have something like uh, Severance, which I think is top tier in almost every category as well. The acting is unbelievable. Adam Scott um, kind of being our lead focal character. Um, just absolutely fantastic. And then, of course, you have people like John Turturro, Patricia Arquette, uh, Christopher Walken even, which is crazy, kind of filling out some of those main um, side roles. The atmosphere is tough to beat in this show, going from like a pretty run-of-the-mill, like cold suburban town to going into like the basement depths of this uh, uh, company where, you know, the severance process means, you know, they have to separate their work and personal life. Um, and I think like the architecture reflects that. I think when it comes to genre, this one's also really hard to beat because it's really a great drama. It's really funny at times. And I think people like Zach Cherry even just like kind of picking certain characters to be comic relief at times is a good way to have a lot of that comedy. It's really scary. It's like a great horror thriller at times. 
And on top of all that, it's also a super compelling mystery. Um, and it's kind of like an ever-evolving mystery. Like at times you're just like, well, who's running the show here? And then where it ends up with, um, you know, a certain, I guess maybe I shouldn't like do full spoilers or whatever, but like a certain character maybe being uh, lost in Adam Scott's personal life, potentially being found in his work life, but then maybe he's going to forget all about it because of the whole severance process. Like just a really fascinating mystery, the entire show. And I just, I, th I think I mentioned this on the podcast when we reviewed it, nothing this year without question was I left like feeling desperate for the next episode to come out like I was for Severance. And I thought Blackbird was great and I thought Andor was great. And those shows also gave me those feelings, but not close to Severance where I was like, I was like putting my head in my fucking hands at the end of every episode. Like I needed to know what was going to happen next. And that finale is, I think, the best finale of the year of anything. Um, just an unbelievable show. Yeah. I think Andor's like the best Star Wars thing. And it is also a great show. I think Blackbird's a great miniseries. Or I think Severance, I think it's just, I don't know. I think it's like the best like original show. I don't know. I just loved it. Yeah, I think everything you're saying about Severance is the exact same way I feel about Andor. And, and I do agree with you on everything you said about Severance. Severance is fantastic. Uh, but Andor somehow has these three arcs that kept me on the edge of my seat for all of them. And it did it three separate times. There's incredibly high highs in this show. Um, it tells me things about Star Wars. It, it answers questions about Star Wars I didn't even know I had. And then on top of that, it's at times just a really interesting like heist show. It's a really interesting like political show. Um, it, it gives you things in this universe that just would kind of be mundane in other shows, but are super compelling in this world. And you're, you're talking about putting your your hands in your head every episode. I, I can't think of anything that had me on had me more on my seat this year than watching the heist uh, kind of finale in Andor and just how nerve wracking it is. So. For all the moments I can point to in Andor, as much as I think Severance is good, I think Andor just kind of edges it out for me. Man, I, I love Severance, man. Um, I think I'm, I'm with everything you said, Matthew, I, I fully agree on this one. Definitely had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. I love the story. I love the sci-fi aspect of it. I can't wait till the second season. The, the cliffhanger at the end of season one was awesome. I think I know where I'm going to vote. And I, I think it's going to be Severance. And that's only because it hooked me from the very beginning. And Andor, while Andor is, is my favorite Star Wars show of all time now, I, I love Andor and everything about it. You said, Austin. But it, it's one of those that it didn't quite catch me at the very beginning. It definitely, start, it, started, it definitely was a little slow for me at the beginning. Whereas Severance, I was hooked from the get-go. So it's definitely neck and neck. It's not an easy one to make, but I think Severance will will take it because it's original. Um, and yeah, I just can't wait to see what they do with the characters and, and how the story plays out. Yeah, my vote, uh, just to give you the swing vote, Matt, uh, my vote is for sure Andor. Um, I'm not even a big Star Wars guy. And I, I definitely, going into Andor, did not think I would ever be fighting for a Star Wars project as hard as this one. Nothing has kind of stuck with me this year like Andor, and I can't stop thinking about it. Can't stop thinking about that next season. I just can't wait. I need more of it. Man, yeah, it really does feel like a flip of a coin in a way. But I think ultimately, I think Severance is just a little bit more polished for me. And it does a little bit more. Uh, not that that's like a negative for Andor. It's just to me, maybe that's all I can really say to give the edge to Severance. I just thought it was like some of the most brilliant original of anything like I've seen in a long time. So I'm going to begrudgingly vote for that. But Andor is like the closest second possible. All right, well, we officially have our best TV show of the year, and the winner is 
Severance. And our first snub of the night is Andor. Alrighty, everyone, let's move on to our next one. I think certainly when it comes to Andor, Blackbird, and Severance, I think we must have mentioned it on the shows like several times whenever we talked about them. But I think one of the best things about all three is those amazing like side characters and those ensemble casts uh, were just filled out with like incredible actors, great writing for them, and they were just so compelling in all of them. So I think it's probably no surprise that we do have a best side character category tonight. And the nominees are Eddie Munson in Stranger Things Season 4, Irving in Severance Season 1, and some more Stranger Things, except this time it's Max Mayfield. Yeah, this one was a tough one to choose because I-, I liked all of y'all's nominees uh, for sure. And I wanted to choose something a little bit different, one that I kind of forgot about since this is so at the beginning of the year uh, with Severance, and that was John Turturro as Irving. He was probably one of the one of the best side characters, if not the best side character in Severance. Uh, his character is really interesting. Uh, and what's going on with his character in the, uh, the severed part of him in the office, it's, it's definitely one of the, the, the moments in the show when you're like, okay, is the science actually working here in Severance, or is it not? What's going on? Because he, he's seeing things from his personal life, possibly, bleed into his, his work self. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought um, John Turturro played it so well. Uh, he, just, he plays such a confused guy. And then when he, go back, when he goes back to his personal life self, um, he's kind of the same way. It's like his work, his work uh, life is bleeding into his personal life. So I think he was probably one of the more interesting side characters of Severance. So that's why uh, I chose him as a nominee. Yeah, I nominated Joseph Quinn as Eddie Munson because um, I think he had one of the hardest tasks in a show this year. He's coming into season four of a beloved show, one of the most popular shows of all time, with characters and main characters that uh, everyone's known for years now and are super attached to. And he's coming in and, and getting a lot of screen time in the show, and we don't know this character. And I remember when he first kind of got introduced, I was like, ooh, I, I don't know if I like this. And we went from that reaction for me to by the end of the season, I was so sad when when his character kind of meets his end on the show and so attached to him throughout he has such a such a good relationship with dustin and stranger things great moments like with uh the the heavy metal aspects of his character and then his D fandom and every time he was on screen he was kind of like a nice break from the stressfulness that was the the majority of season four in the best possible way he was just so endearing and so charming and couldn't help but root for him and the fact that he comes into season four of a show with with these many beloved characters and kind of kind of stole the show for all of season four. It just uh, just a really impactful side character. And, and when we decided to do this category this year, he immediately popped in my head to be nominated. Taking the opposite approach with Stranger Things, I picked somebody that's been around for a few seasons um, and someone I think is getting better, not only acting wise, but also the writing for the character, I think is getting better as each season goes on. And that's Max Mayfield, played by Sadie Sink. Um, introduced in season two is kind of like you know, like a new kid to join the group, essentially. In a lot of ways, it seemed like that was kind of the purpose of the character. Maybe give Eleven somebody to kind of pal around with more. And then in season three, you know, we get a bit more ingratiated into the plot. And here in season four, I think Sadie Sink's by far the best of the kid actors. Um, I don't think it's even close, to be honest. I, I like the other ones, but I think she is like, like way better. <laughs> uh, so that also helps. But I think it's easy to forget that she has her own, first of all, like her own kind of uh, episode uh, with Dear Billy, the one that like running up that hill kept uh, dominated this year. And that's where we kind of, the 
hell. <laughs> and that's where that came from. But I also bring up that episode because she has like a really hard role to play in the season because they basically just keep telling us that she's Vecna's uh, next victim the entire time. So she really feels like she's kind of on borrowed time throughout the season. And there's real stakes to that character. And there's real um, like depression and pain and sadness associated with that character that we don't really get to see in Stranger Things with a lot of the kids because I think maybe too often in that show they try and be like all uppity with the whole 80s thing. And it's like, this is one of the few characters where there's like some realness there. I think Sadie Sink plays all of the sides of the character super well. I really like her kind of like growing relationship with Lucas, even though they're not together anymore. It feels like they're both maturing and becoming more available to each other in a different way. Um, yeah, so I guess I just think she was already one of the better characters on the show. But after season four, I think she's the best acted of the younger cast. And I think she might have been one of our, if not the most important character to the plot. And I thought the way she fit into the plot was super interesting and sad, but you're also always rooting for her. Um, so, yeah, that's why I picked her. I think I'm going to change my nominee to Will Byers' haircut in Stranger <laughs> Things season four. Ugh, gross. The only counterpoint I would give to yours, Matt, with Sadie Sink, as good as I think she is as Max Fayfield, she her character certainly is important to the plot just by the situation she's put in for the season. Uh, but she really only has one episode where she's the focal point, whereas I think Eddie Munson just kind of appears a lot more in the show. And every time he's on screen, he's great. Yeah, this honestly could be a scenario where the two Stranger Things uh, <laughs> nominees cancel each other out because of these, the only one I can really nitpick is and it's not the nominee it's really the writers and because joseph quinn's great as eddie munson but as we talked about on the on the on the episode about part two i hated hated how apparent it became by the end that the writers were unwilling to kill steve harrington it's so clear that eddie munson was introduced in season four and he's bas he basically just is steve whenever you think about it more they really just like copy pasted steve harrington into a different looking character he has the exact same relationship with Dustin. And when he dies at the end, I was super sad like Austin. But as time has gone on, it just it rings a little hollow because it just seems so apparent. To, maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems so apparent that they were going to kill Steve there. And that was the emotional payoff of like protecting Dustin and everybody. And then they were like, uh, we don't want to get shit on by fans. So let's just introduce another new character and then kill them by the end of the season. So because it got too apparent for me towards the end. I don't think I could. Yeah, that's my only real knock against Eddie. And it's not Joseph Quinn's fault. It's just I didn't like that writing aspect. I guess the other side of that would be I, I kind of hated they weren't willing to pull the trigger and kill off Max Mayfield that's also in true. season four. They just blinded her and put her in a coma. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. As much as I love Severance and it, it kind of stuck with me it, a lot, like a lot of aspects of Severance stuck with me. Irving really didn't. I, I remember him being good while he was on the show. But I honestly kind of forgot who Irving was whenever this was nominated. And maybe it's just because of the amount of content that came out this year. Um, he didn't stick with me like Eddie Munson and Max Mayfield did this year. So he, uh, I, I can for sure narrow him out. But it is tough between Eddie and Max for me. All right. Well, maybe a little bit unprecedented. It sounds like you two are still trying to figure out what you want to do. Maybe you've narrowed it down here and there. I'll do. I wasn't expecting to do this, but I guess to the opposite of Austin's point, I'm actually going to vote for Irving from Severance. I think after... Talking through my own nominee with Max and hearing Austin talk through uh, Eddie, I think I see the pros and the cons to both characters from like a writing standpoint. And I think maybe those cons outweigh some of the pros 
just in this category. So I think that I think they may have canceled each other out for me. So I'm just going to vote for one of my favorite side characters from Severance, I think. I'll go ahead and vote next, because uh, I think the cons with both Eddie and Max actually fit the 2022 Pay Your Riders Moment of the Year award a little better, because we didn't like the writing for these characters. Yeah. The performances and the memorability for me stands out here, though. And for me, it's Eddie Munson. Uh, just like I, I hands down wish he was coming back in Stranger Things. That's how much I want to see him again. He was my Halloween costume this year. Uh, he will for sure be getting my vote. I think I know where I lie, and I, I thought I was going to change my vote from someone that's not my nominee, but I think I am going to vote for Irving as well. I don't think any of the Stranger Things characters like stand out from one another for me, because I do think they're all really good, uh, but I think Irving's definitely going to take it for me, because I just can't wait to see what happens with this character in Season 2 of Severance. I think he just has a little bit more weight to him when it comes to those three characters. All right, it's official. The Best Side Character Award goes to... Irving and Severance. All right, guys, we got pretty serious there. Let's liven it up a little bit. And that is the Laughed One I Shouldn't Have Award. And the nominees are Mark Hamill's robot voice in The Book of Boba Fett, Mother's baby line in Barbarian. And when Rooster honored his dead father's memory of singing Great Balls of Fire over and fucking over again in Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> oh, a Great Balls of Fire! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get mine out of the way quick. I thought this was hysterical. It's like the only thing I understand, like the last movie came out like 40 years ago. So you have to have like a visual representation where they can like flash back to Anthony Edwards singing this song. It's like, oh, Rooster's continuing his memory. That doesn't change the fact that it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> like, is this the only thing that like you know about your dad? I know he died when you were a baby. It's still funny. I mean, Anthony Edwards sang that song or said Great Balls of Fire constantly in Top Gun. It's the worst part of that movie. And here, yep. they tested my patience. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. But man, I like Miles Teller, but they should have picked a different song. And I was laughing the entire time. <laughs> yep. It was annoying in the first Top Gun. It was annoying 36 years later in Top Gun Maverick. Uh, mine's pretty simple, too. Mark Hamill and Boba Fett. The man, as we know, not a great live action actor, fantastic <laughs> voice actor. The fact that I chose to dub his voice when he is so talented as voice acting don't know why they made this choice. Uh, he sounds like a robot. It makes him look funny on screen. Uh, he, he is definitely the nominee for the Laughing I Shouldn't Have Award, because every time he was talking, I was laughing. The force is with you. Don't grab it yet, Grogu. Wait a moment. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> yeah, I had to shout out the uh, the mama's line in uh, Barbarian. That movie was scary as shit and really kept me on the edge of my seat. But whenever she was saying, bah, bah, over and over, <laughs> I was just cracking up in the theater. But yeah, I think I think I know where I'm going to vote. If you want me to go ahead and go. Oh, go for it, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and have to, this is an easy one. I'm going to have to vote for the Great Balls of Fire in Top great of the Maverick. Great Balls of Fire. It, yeah, it's just, it's just so <laughs> ridiculous watching Miles Teller um, with a, a clear spray tan, like in the middle of the bar, like just playing, ding, 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 just playing the <laughs> piano. I'm like, oh God, this is so stupid. Everybody <laughs> hates this guy right now, and for good reason. He's mm. playing a piano very badly <laughs> yeah. in the middle of a bar, <laughs> singing Great Miles of Fire. So, Ugh. easy vote. Yeah, I will be voting uh, for Keats nominee, uh, The Baby Line from Barbarian. And my reason, it's its not really the movie's fault. It's, it's actually Keats' fault because I've seen Barbarian three times now. And because of his impression of Bepe, every time that happens on screen, it makes me laugh now. <laughs> yep, that's also why I'm voting for Keats as well. I thought it was funny in the movie, but ever since then, it just gets funnier. And also for a little bit of positivity, because I did not laugh for a good reason when Rooster started singing Great Balls of Fire. 
I definitely didn't laugh for good reasons when Mark Hamill's like they decided not to use a talented voice actor and like just use an AI robot. But I did <laughs> laugh for positive reasons when hearing the mother say, Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, officially, uh, the winner of Laugh When I Shouldn't Have Award of 2022 is Pepe from Barbarian. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving here and let's give out an award that's near and dear to all three of ours heart. Uh, the Terminal List Brother Award. <laughs> it's anything that was so bad it annoyed us this year uh, because they say brother a million times in Terminal List and it got annoying. So the nominees for the Terminal List Brother Award are the entirety of Spider Story in Avatar 2, Korg in Thor Love and Thunder, and me on the podcast this year post seeing the Terminal List. <laughs> <laughs> I guess to explain myself for mine, I think I took the because Austin's right. I mean, it was it's comical in Terminal List, like when Taylor Kitsch and Chris Pratt have scenes together, like they cannot go like two sentences without calling each other brother. Like, thanks, brother. Or no, oh, good call, brother. Like, hey, are you okay, hey, brother? There, brother? It's like, come on, dude. This is Roger, <laughs> brother. So, <laughs> but that's what I mean. That's why I nominated myself because I I can like. Oh, I can't count the amount of times since then where like something funny has happened. Or, like I've like m- like stumbled over my words or like I've made a mistake or like I've just said something wrong. And then I was like, oh, fuck. Sorry, brother. <laughs> I've said that so many yeah, times brother. this year. That- well, all, all three of us have done it. And I actually want to propose something a bit unprecedented. Are we going to add you two to this? The reason why I came <laughs> up with this award, because I was I was originally writing Annoying Moment and I had nominated Terminalist and then I mm. changed it to be the Terminalist Brother Award. Brother. Should we just give this award to the Terminalist? Because it came out in 2022 and we Ooh. can't stop saying brother wow. and not in a good way. I think I, I, I could agree to that. All right. Well, you know what? I think um, all the nominees, including myself, and we'll just include you two in my own nominee now. We all deserve <laughs> it. Um, but I think you're right. It is unprecedented. But I mean, the award is named after the Terminalist for a reason. I guess we have to give it to it. All right. Well, easy <laughs> enough. Um, officially, the winner of the Terminalist Brother Award of 2022 is the Terminalist. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. Thanks, brother. <laughs> I think, you know, there's lots of nominees for our variety of awards today, but I think something I can say quite confidently is when it comes to the best performance by an actor or actress in 2022, Chris Pratt and Taylor Kitsch are nowhere to be found. Um, so the actual nominees are Paul Walter Hauser in Blackbird, Laura Linney in Ozark, and Michelle Yeoh in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah, we spoke a lot on Blackbird earlier this year. Um, and a big piece of that miniseries being so good is Paul Walter Hauser's performance. Every time he's on screen, he makes your skin crawl. Um, he he feels like a different person in this role in the best possible way, where it, it doesn't it just doesn't even feel like Paul Walter Hauser on screen anymore. Um, it feels like you're watching Larry Hall interact uh, with Jimmy Keen, and the way his face contorts, the way his eyes roll whenever he's talking about the despicable things this character has done, the way he gets like all sweaty and excited. Just so many things about this performance stand out to me. Um, as much as I overall found other shows better than Blackbird, I was hard pressed to find other performances I found better. Then Paul Walter Hauser and Blackbird this year. Yeah, it was great. It's so disturbing. Yeah, the best part about that performance is just, I think maybe the voice has something to do with it, but you never know if he is truly guilty or truly innocent. Like sometimes you go back and forth. I think it's because of that almost naive type demeanor that comes through with the performance and the voice. So yeah, it constantly is putting you on edge. Oof, gross. Um, I chose Laura Linney 
Uh, she's incredible as uh, Wendy Bird. The way she her character carries herself as Wendy, just this lady who's playing several roles as you know as being a mom, an overprotective mom, to also being a cartel uh, drug runner or money laundering leader, um, and just gets to a point where she's almost like Walter White in Breaking Bad, where she uh, kind of forgets who she is and and just and just gets power hungry. And, um, yeah, I just like the way Laura Linney plays it. I mean, it was just so cool. And, uh, definitely come, a lot of it comes to bite her in the ass in the end. Yeah. Great gravity to that role. So, uh, really enjoyed her performance. Yeah. Laura Linney definitely makes Ozark, uh, what it was. And we all have varying opinions on that final season. Uh, but Laura Linney for sure is without her in the show. I'm, I'm not sure if it's as successful as it was. Definitely. Yeah. I'm talking about like the many faces of Wendy Bird, so to speak. It's kind of how I feel about, um, Michelle Yeoh and Everything Everywhere. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh's character is extremely aimless. She's kind of lost and she's longing for what could have been in her life had she made a different choice when she was younger. She doesn't want to be running this laundromat with her husband anymore. Like, she's just kind of sick of it. And then the movie itself kind of gives her the opportunity to do that by visiting and uh, being transported to all of these various realities she gets to kind of experience that. And by the end, I think she truly realizes what is important and it is her family. Um, like, you know, she needs to kind of reignite that love with her husband who cares so much about her and she needs to fix the relationship with her daughter that she is, you know, continually uh, damaged. Um, and throughout that entire thing, we get to see so many different faces of Michelle Yeoh. Like she's playing the same character in a way, uh, kind of technically. Um but she's <laughs> at times she is kind of that standard um, foil for the, like the whole mother daughter thing. At times she's in a story where she's trying to uh, <laughs> find the passion with her lover, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, except they have fingers that are sausages. At times she's like a sous chef trying to help a guy uh, realize what a great movie Ratatouille is in more ways than one. Like it's it, it's very bizarre. And, and in one, she's just a rock with googly eyes, and her daughter is too. So it's just this very fascinating story about kind of fixing that relationship and like the way Michelle Yeoh kind of navigates each one of those versions of her or whatever is pretty cool. I mean, it's fantastic. I think it's a great movie, one that people have been talking about all year, and I think. She's probably the main reason. I think the performance is so good and just the atmosphere. But yeah, I thought her performance was great. Yeah, I, I don't want to take anything away from Michelle Yeoh's performance. But actually, what I think about when I think about everything everywhere all at once is just the journey of that movie and not necessarily the performances. Um, she is, of course, fantastic and all the different roles she has to play stands out. But also, I think Kihi Kwan stands out, too, in that movie. Yeah. And, and their dynamic is what kind of makes the film for me. And, and also the Daniel's direction and their willingness to commit to their vision. So... For me, I wouldn't necessarily give Michelle Yeoh the best performance this year, as good as I think she is in the film. Yeah, I guess if we're going to start breaking them all down, I mean, these are hard ones. I don't have a lot of negative to say. I think, I don't know, I think maybe my only negative for someone like Laura Lenny is because I know I think differently about Ozark than you guys, but I really think the Wendy Bird character in terms of like writing, performance, and everything peaked in season three. Um I think season four, part one is fine, and season four, part two is really bad, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, the reason I bring it up, though, is because one of the things I like the least is the inconsistencies of Wendy Bird's character that start to come through after season three and the new season that we saw this year. And I did feel a lot of the time like, wow, Laura Linney is really good in this show, but I kind of feel like in a weird way, she's not given a whole lot to do this season. So that's really my only negative. And like whenever it gets towards the end and like the character just like 
like flips on a snap. It goes from being, like you said, Keith, like basically a new version of Walter White to I guess she's a good person again. Like what? Um, and again, that has nothing to do with Laura Linney's performance. But the fact that I think the character suffered so much left me feeling like, ah, I wish Laura Linney had better material here. Like she's doing good, but I think she could be doing way more with better material. That's really all I can say about that one. I think I'm kind of siding with Austin when it comes to Michelle Yeoh and everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. I don't think her performance really captivated me as much as these other two. I think you did kind of nail it, Matthew, with Laura Lenny. She's good in all of those art for me, but I think you're right. I think season two and season three is definitely more of her peak. Not really performance-based, more writing. But I think I'll have to vote for Paul Walter Hauser in Blackbird. I think it's, that the, I think it's a pretty no-brainer for me. The different voices he would do, the whispering, the yelling, the manic episodes, the depressive episodes he was having. It was all really, really cool and really creepy and disturbing all at the same time. And the way he played off of Taron Egerton was perfect. So um, I think I'm going to give a vote to him. The thing that is kind of um, edging out Paul Walter Hauser for me over these other two is it's not necessarily fair because he is playing someone who is a real life person. But if, if you look up if you look up Larry Hall in real life, just it's hard to distinguish the two. And I, I think that's incredible, just the way he gave that performance. So he will also be getting my vote. Paul Hauser is probably a close second for me. I think it's mute at this point, but I would probably stick with Michelle Yeoh. I, I do agree with you guys. I mean, I did think about also nominating Kihi Kwan and Stephanie Su uh, for this one. I just ended up settling on Michelle Yeoh. Um, I, I, I do think you guys are right. Perhaps maybe overall the movie really is more about that journey. I think I just maybe resonated a bit more with Michelle Yeoh's place in that journey. So it's a close one, but I think I'm going to stick with her. All right, well, officially, uh, the best performance of 2022 is Paul Walter Hauser in Blackbird. Moving on to the next one. We got to bring up a negative one here, but we have to do it. And that's the biggest letdown of the year award. Let's just get right into it. The nominees are Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The Northman. And of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi. We have three pretty big letdowns here. I I think Matt's actually probably going to disagree with me on the Doctor Strange sequel. Uh, for me, the reason why that is a letdown is the team that was attached to it with, with Sam Rainey kind of returning to comic book movies and the premise that was given to us never really lived up to the hype for me. Uh, it, the way they pitched it was kind of the scary multiverse journey. And at the end of the day in that film, they go to two universes and we, we don't see anything drastically different. The performances, I think, were good, but ultimately I found it forgettable. Uh, I, I'm kind of struggling right now to come up with any standout things from that film except for Doctor Strange as a zombie so overall for me uh, that is why Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is my nominee for the biggest letdown of the year yeah the Northman man this one was a big letdown I I was looking so forward to this movie and I was just straight off of watching Vikings um, as well so I was in I was in Viking mode when I saw the trailer for this movie in the Northman I was like holy shit this is going to be a badass movie Um, the visuals looked really cool in the trailer uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Ethan Hawke were attached. I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna be, this is this is gonna be really cool. Did we get most of what I wanted as far as battle scenes and 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 just good fight choreography? No, I don't think so. Um, we got a little bit of it, but really not as much as I was wanting. And I thought the story was written in a really weird way. It went in a, in a wild direction. It did it didn't catch me at all. I don't. I just don't. I I didn't enjoy it at all. I was really hoping for a classic Viking battle story and it's just not what we got so pretty big letdown 
Yeah, I still don't know what it is to this day about the Northman. Uh, I'm sure I'll rewatch it eventually, but yeah, it just it definitely didn't hit me like it seemed to hit everyone else out there. I think you know, probably the three of us are the most negative that I know about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just didn't connect, and I was really excited for it. Uh, it wasn't like a lack of action or anything. It wasn't like, uh, you know, it wasn't that I didn't get what I wanted necessarily. It's just what was on screen. I just, I don't know, just found it a little bit meandering and just not as compelling as I expected or hoped for going in. So yeah, definitely a letdown for me. Um, when it comes to Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, uh, definitely not as down on it as Austin, but I still see some of the points for sure. I do think it is a letdown in a lot of ways. When it comes to positives, I, I, I did enjoy the relationship between Doctor Strange and America Chavez. I think Benedict Cumberbatch was always great. And I I think I'm on the opposite for a lot of people is I really like the turn for Wanda Maximoff. I think Elizabeth Olsen played a great villain. Um, but there are some like strange, uh, no pun intended, story things and choices and like where they chose to spend a lot of their time versus kind of what the title suggested. So I, I can appreciate that being a letdown. For me, what it comes down to with Obi-Wan Kenobi is... It felt different going into that one, right? Um, it was just such a huge deal to finally get that show or project announced. It's been talked about for years. Uh, the last time we saw Ewan McGregor was in 2005 in Revenge of the Sith. And here we are 17 years later and we're getting another story with him set between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. And it's live action. It's not just like him doing the voice or anything. Like, this was huge. And it was billed as like the sixth part, like huge miniseries event only on Disney Plus. And I just kept getting more and more excited. I was excited Vader was in it. Um, I didn't want them to encounter each other. And really to keep it simple, the fact that the show, I would have been okay walking away from that show and being like, ah, I wish it was better. Instead, I walked away after, and especially after thinking about it more, I think I am closer to Austin where it's just, it's just Woo! a baffling show. I just don't know how they fucked it up so bad. It just seemed like such an easy win, right? I mean, just, Telling a compelling, like, quick little, like, short story between episodes three and four with Ewan McGregor back in the role. And it became this strange, episodic, confusing, like, not introspective character study. We, we barely get to spend any time with Obi-Wan. Like, we don't know how he feels about Vader coming back. And what it ends up being is just like this, like, fetch quest to, to get young Leia. She keeps getting kidnapped and then Obi-Wan's got to go save them. And it just, I really love that young actress and I like their chemistry, but... It just took up too much of the show. And so by the time the credits finally rolled, I was like, wow, that's the story they chose to tell with a show called Obi-Wan Kenobi with Ewan McGregor finally back in the role. Like, I don't know how they missed the mark so bad. And it was my biggest letdown for sure. Yeah, for me with the Northmen, um, I totally hear Keith's point and it's fair to be let down uh, by something by not getting what you wanted from a movie. The reason why I don't really take anything away from the Northmen is, is I don't know if Robert Eggers has necessarily wanted to tell this crazy action Viking movie story. I think that's just the way the studio marketed the movie to get people in theaters. And I think all the performances are good. I think the visuals are, are incredible. And the story they told, I do find interesting. I'm certainly not as high on it as it seems like the rest of the world is. Um, there, there's a lot of moments in that movie that are just weird and kind of drag and some weird story moments. Uh, but overall, I didn't necessarily find it to be a letdown. I just found it to kind of be a, a different Viking story than what I expected. I'm 100% with math, though. Obi-Wan Kenobi, I don't know how this is a story they chose to tell. Please tell me something, anything new about Obi-Wan Kenobi. I didn't learn anything interesting about him. This is one of the most hyped shows of the, of the year coming into 2022, and it is for sure the biggest letdown of the year for me. I think you guys are absolutely right. It, it pains me to say it because I just hate saying anything negative about Star Wars, but sometimes you just have to. 
like you guys said, we had they had to screw it all up and have him interact with Darth Vader for whatever reason. Big letdown. Hate to see it, but I'll, I'll vote for Obi Wan. All right. Well, with that, the biggest letdown of the year award officially. Our winner is Obi Wan Kenobi. Let's stay with Star Wars in spirit, or at least with Mark Hamill, and let's give out my favorite award of the year that we always do, and that's the honorary Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year. And the nominees are Count Dooku's Star Wars backstory in Tales of the Jedi. Jeremy Renner as Hakka. And uh, in the span of a year, Matt Smith playing Milo in Morbius, and then later playing Daemon Targaryen in House of the Dragon. All right, so the spirit of this award is, of course, how good Mark Hamill is and the Empire Strikes Back after being kind of lame and campy in A New Hope. Uh, the improvement is, is kind of what we're focused on for this award. I know my Count Dooku's Star Wars story doesn't necessarily fit the actor criteria, uh, but the improvement from what we got from Count Dooku in the prequel trilogy to how interesting of a character he is in the Tales of the Jedi story, I just couldn't not nominate him for this award. Um, I care so much more about this character now. I see his point of view. They did such a good job in such a short amount of time, um, fleshing out Count Dooku's backstory. And, and it was so cool to learn his origins with the Jedi and, and why someone like that may have flipped to the Sith's side in Star Wars. Uh, so that is why I nominated him for the honorary Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year. I nominated Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. And I think it's for good reason. I've never really cared about Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. I never cared about Hawkeye throughout all of the Avenger or Thor movies. He never really brought a lot to the table for me personally. Man, in the Hawkeye show, though, he really, he turned a new leaf for me. I thought he was a really cool, I thought he was a good mentor to uh, Kate Bishop, and I thought they had good chemistry together, and uh, they worked really well together. He was funny in it. He had a lot more badassery in it to me. Um, so I think Jeremy Renner, in his own words, took his medicine and uh, became a better Hawkeye. Yeah, and mine is more of a less about quality of acting and more about quality of project. Because earlier this year, <laughs> we had um, Matt Smith stars the villain Milo in the official Arn Academy Award Worst Movie of the Year, Morbius. And then later in the year, he played, I think, one of the most compelling, talked about, like fucked up, kind of interesting, kind of disgusting, kind of want to root for him, like, ugh, character in one of the best shows of the year with House of the Dragon. Uh, I came to House of the Dragon late, and I definitely had been hearing about Matt Smith quite a bit in it, and he certainly did not let me down. Again, I think I agree with what Austin said at the top. I think in terms of like quality of acting, Matt Smith as Milo is the best part of Morbius, but that doesn't really mean a whole lot. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of the way I'm looking at this award today. He went from arguably the worst thing of the year to one of the best and one of the better characters in it. I 100% agree with you on quality of project uh for me i can't vote for matt smith though because i didn't think he was bad in morbius i, I just true, thought he was true. a good actor uh who wanted to work with jared leto and made a poor decision uh <laughs> and he's very good as damien Tar targaryen i totally agree with you however i think i would see a milo solo movie that's how good i thought he was Whoa. uh you Get know I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't do very well but i think i would enjoy seeing matt smith play milo for two hours jeremy renner He's okay. I never thought he was bad. I don't know. I I just, I, where I'm at is I always thought the Count Dooku story was horrible. And the fact that I care about Count Dooku now, I got to stick with that. I'm sorry, my friends. Um, I think I'm going to throw a vote towards Jeremy Renner. Um, I, well, I'm with you, Austin. He's not 
the best, but did he improve for me? He, yes, by a long shot. He definitely improved. So I think I'm going to vote for him. The Count Dooku thing, I see what you're saying. I like the, the I like the flesh out of the story, but for me, it's not much of an improvement because I didn't have a problem. I never had a problem with Count Dooku to begin with. I always liked Christopher Lloyd as Count Dooku. Yeah, we could have got more story from him, but I was okay with what we got. Um, so I think that's why I got to throw a vote to Jeremy Renner. Yeah, um, I like Jeremy Renner a lot in most things. I think without question, some of his weaker work has been as Hawkeye because it just doesn't seem like he really ever cared about it. And I think some of that's writing. I don't think he ever got something super interesting to do until Hawkeye all these years later. So I definitely agree that it's a big improvement. Um, and I actually quite like Hawkeye. Um, but really what it comes down to for me is the amount of the improvement. And I guess where I differ from Keith is even as a kid, I never gave a shit about Count Dooku. In fact, I always found the character rather confusing. Like, what's his motivation? Is he a double agent? Oh, wait, no, he's just a bad guy? Okay, why? Like, why Like, why didn't we just stick with Darth Maul? Why did we kill that guy? Like, why, why are we now introduced to Count Dooku? And then he immediately dies in Revenge of the Sith. Like, I understand why he had to die, but I just never really cared about that character. Uh, and the fact that I came away from Tales of the Jedi, which I'm also giving bonus points to, because it did it in what, like three 10-minute episodes? Like, not a lot of time. And Count Dooku went from such a blah, I don't give a shit character to, man, I got to know more about this guy. Because I thought the story in Tales of the Jedi was so compelling for him in particular. So I think I got to vote for that, despite Jeremy Renner really improving in Hawkeye. Uh, the guy that trained General Grievous, the winner for the honorary <laughs> Mark Hamill Most Improved Actor of the Year... Is Count Dooku's Star Wars backstory from Tales of the Jedi? Count Dooku. <laughs> Count Dooku. <laughs> what's he? What's another line he says? He's like, "I'll add these to my lightsaber collection." I'll add these to my collection. His most iconic line is. <laughs> 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 Earlier, we did the biggest letdown of the year. Let's flip it and let's do the biggest surprise of the year award. The nominees are Violent Night. Kind of liking Halo Season 1. And the final season of Ozark being as garbage as it was. All right, so Violent Night. I saw this trailer. I was like, cool idea. That's going to be trash. I went and saw it in theaters, and I loved it. Uh, so that's why it's my biggest surprise. I went into it expecting it to be terrible, and I was surprised at how great I thought it was. Um, I'm kind of the same on uh, Halo Season 1. I didn't expect I would like a show based on a video game that everybody's been playing didn't really know anything about Halo. I never really played Halo a whole lot growing up. So the fact that there was a show coming out, I was kind of like, it's going to be, it's probably going to be terrible. Um, but I actually ended up really getting invested into the characters and the story. Um, so kind of looking forward to a season two if they have one. Yeah, Keith, if we hadn't seen Violent Night this year, uh, my nominee would have been Halo. So I'm kind of right there with you. I recognize my award might be hard to sway you guys to, because I know without question out of the three of us, I'm the lowest on Ozark in general. But the special reason that season four, the final season, gets my biggest surprise of the year for being so bad is because, like I've said, it took me forever to get into Ozark, but season three did it. Woo! That's what just one of the best like modern seasons of TV in recent memory. And then you get season four split into two parts where they just inundate us with so many new characters did anybody have on their bingo card that wendy bird's alcoholic dad would be the main villain of the second half of season four the final season not me <laughs> and i i'm because why would i um 
I think they made both of the kids so much more unlikable in the final season. They made Wendy Bird start flip-flopping all of a sudden, which makes her like, you want to root for a villain, but you can't because now it's like, oh, I want to be a good guy. And then the whole aloof Jason Bateman thing, I think, ran its course by the end of season four uh, to the point where they all reunite as a family towards the end. And I thought it was hilarious. Like, it was comical. Like, wow, this is how we're wrapping up the story. To me, it felt like a final season of Game of Thrones thing. It felt like Ozark originally was supposed to have five or six seasons. But then the people involved were like, "Ah, we got to move on to different things. I'm not really feeling the show anymore. Let's just make this the final season. And then they just shoved all this shit into it that made the entire thing drag down. Um, It was my biggest surprise because season three was so good and I thought four was so bad. But I know you guys might feel differently. Yeah, I just can't sign off on it being garbage is my thing. Um, I agree. I think it's probably the worst season they put out of the show. I still thought it had some fitting moments and some fitting ends to some of these characters. I I like that we left not fully kind of understanding where everyone stands. Um, I think we talked about this on the episode. I don't necessarily think the ending was great, but I did think it fit the world, which was the kind of the best praise I could give it. It didn't surprise me, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, I, I thought it was going to be hard to stick the landing, so I wasn't surprised that they struggled to actually kind of wrap up the show effectively. Yeah, I think I'm kind of with Austin on this. Do I think it was bad? No, I still think it was really fun to watch, and I was still sitting on the edge of my seat, as always, with Ozark. And it gave us a great kind of side new villain in Javi, who was definitely underused and story was underutilized, but still loved when he was on screen. Yeah. One thing you did say, Matt, that that I totally agree with was Wendy's, and we talked about it earlier with Laura Lenny, was Wendy's flip-flop. You know, she was like becoming this Breaking Bad Walter White power-hungry character. It was building that the whole season three and beginning of season four. And then at the very end, she tries to be tries to be the good mom again. Um, and it just, and it, that didn't make too much sense to me. But do I think it was bad? No, I can't say I do. Well, here we go. I'll make it easy for you guys. I think Austin's right. I probably shouldn't have used the word garbage in the nominee. Maybe if I'd said <laughs> bad, I could have sold it more. But that's the fun thing with these awards. You know, you got to be able to sell your own verbiage. And that's the exact reason why I'm voting for Halo, because Keith didn't even say Halo season one. He, his biggest surprise of the year was kind of liking it. I think that's the right way to put it. I didn't love it. I kind of liked it and I wasn't expecting to. Um, Violent, not absolutely loved. And the only difference I have with Austin's history with it is whenever Keith and I saw Halloween ends, literally one of the most fun parts of that night was seeing the trailer for Violent Night. Like, that looks awesome. And whenever I saw it, I was like, that was awesome. So wasn't too much of a surprise for me, whereas kind of liking Halo, I think is the perfect way to put it. It was pretty surprising. <laughs> All right. Well, I will throw my vote for Violet Knight. Spoiler alert, it will be in our holiday bracket next year for 2023, Ooh. and I will be pulling for it to go pretty far. This one's easy for me. It's going to be Halo because I also was not surprised by Violet Knight. I was pumped for Violet Knight when I saw the trailer. Um, so Halo season one for sure. Kind of liking it because like I said, I didn't love it either, but I kind of liked it. All right. Well, we were in the minority of not liking the Northmen, and we are in the minority of liking the first season of Halo as well. So officially, the biggest surprise of the year is Halo Season 1. I went back and listened to that Halo episode, and I, I said, I quote, I think I loved it. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I was very high. Again, you said <laughs> you think very high you loved on Halo. it. <laughs> yeah, you never know for sure with Halo Season 1. You kind of liked it. You think you loved it. That's the, that's the beauty of it. <laughs> All right, we have a lot of directors coming out of COVID claiming my movie's not going to streaming. You gotta see it in theaters. Which movies do we agree with that statement on? The award is the Needs to be Seen in Theaters Award, and the nominees are Top Gun Maverick, Avatar The Way of the Water, and Halloween Ends. 
Where else are you going to see it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to win this one. I just, one of the best theater experiences I had was watching Halloween ends next to Keith and literally like going back and forth, looking at each other like, what the fuck? Like, what's happening? And like sometimes laughing, sometimes like getting up to go to the bathroom and like walking around after so you didn't have to go back in yet. Like literally, you should never watch Halloween ends any way else, kind of like Austin did. The biggest mistake I made with Halloween Kills retroactively was watching that shit on Peacock. I should have been in the theater asking questions out loud and laughing at it. And by God, that's what I did for Halloween ends. Only see it in theater. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Halloween ends should be seen at all uh, in theaters or on (laughs) streaming. I think it's that bad. Uh, My favorite theater experience of the year was easily Barbarian. Um, However, with Top Gun Maverick, Tom Cruise delayed this movie for like four years or whatever it was saying this has to be seen in theaters. And I got to say, he was right. Uh, This is a theater movie. It's pure spectacle. Also a great story. Um, I went into this movie kind of expecting to be underwhelmed and was pretty blown away with how much I enjoyed it. Can't stop talking about it still to this day. Think about how great it is. Uh, So that's why I nominated Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I nominated Avatar The Way of the Water. Due to all the reasons that we listed out in our previous episode on that, I mean, the visuals were just unreal. Watching it in 3D. Uh, was surprisingly really cool, really trippy. Um, everything was super crisp in the movie as far as the, the water goes, uh, the swimming, uh, all the swimming scenes. All of it looks so cool. Uh, I definitely think this is one you have to go see in theaters to get that experience and watch it in 3D as well. I think Avatar The Way of Water um, just is like a next level experience when it comes to visuals. Like, it's the craziest, like, most, like, beautiful and, like, like crazy, awe-inspiring, like, like, visuals I've seen in anything ever up to this point. But I think I would, despite that, give the edge to Top Gun Maverick because it was a kind of different type of theater experience. I think when it comes to those Tom Cruise practical effects, that certainly helps <laughs> when it comes to all the flying sequences. But I don't know. There's a reason Top Gun Maverick in particular, I think, took the world like so hard, so fast. And I just think it's because it kind of, I don't know, it brought me back to being a kid a little bit uh, and seeing movies like those big blockbuster movies in theaters. Like there's there's like a special something to those movies from way back when. And I mean, it's, this had that, like the practical effects, like I was in awe of them watching them in the theater. But then even like the smaller scenes, I don't know, like even like the moments between him and Rooster, between him and Jennifer Connelly, like, I, I kind of felt like, wow, I'm so glad I'm seeing this in theaters, like being around people, this experience, like it's just, it's just great. So even though like Avatar, I think is like the better looking movie in, in that sense, I just think Top Gun Maverick, like the experience involved with it, it feels more active instead of passive in a way. So I think I, I'd have to give that. I mean, that's probably my best theater going experience this year. Well, I will actually be voting for Avatar ah! The Way of the Water. I kind of think this movie should only be seen in theaters. The visuals are unlike yeah. anything I've ever seen on a movie screen before. And Top Gun Maverick, while I loved it and I think it's incredible, I think you can enjoy it at home, like kind of watching it anywhere. I think it's that good of a movie. Whereas Avatar, I don't know if I would watch it at home. I, I kind of want to only ever see this movie in theaters just because of the spectacle that is playing out for you on the big screen. Uh, so I'll cast my vote for Avatar The Way of the Water. Okay. Yeah, that's good logic because I've watched Top Gun Maverick since then. And we talked about it in the Avatar episode. I watched that first one like three or four times in theaters in 2009. The next time I saw it was like the day before I saw The Way of Water. I had no interest in ever watching it again. And I wouldn't be surprised if I don't, if I never see Way of Water again. Maybe I'll just be in theaters in a couple of years watching the third one. Because what's the point? I don't know. It's a good argument. 
Austin, you made a very good point. I liked it a lot. I, I love Top Gun in theaters. Um, I loved the the whole um, explanation of the G-forces when they're flying the planes and the way the camera angles are, like you said, the practical effects when they're flying these actual jets and hearing the jet engine and feeling the force when they're climbing a certain altitude or, or, or dive bombing towards the earth. It all looks so cool. Um, and like you said, even even the, the, the downtime scenes with Tom Cruise and, and the other pilots and, or, or his love interest and all that were all good as well. So it's a, it was a good all-around movie, like you said, Matthew. Like it definitely had that old-school movie theater experience to it. But I, did, I, do, I, think, I think I might have to side with Austin on his argument. Top Gun is something I know I'll, I'll probably still enjoy sitting at home as well. Whereas Avatar, it, I think this one has to be seen in theaters. And like you said, Matt, I don't think I, I don't see, really see myself watching Avatar anytime. It's way too long. It was good, <laughs> but I'm looking, I'm, I'll just go see the next one. I don't really need to see it again. I think the theater experience was phenomenal. So I'll give a vote to Avatar. All right. Well, James Cameron would certainly agree with us as well. Um, officially, the Needs to be Seen in Theaters Award of 2022 is Avatar The Way of the Water. All right, everybody, we made it through. It's time for the final award of the night, the big one, the best movie of the year. The nominees are The Batman, Top Gun Maverick, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, with The Batman, I'm pretty sure it's not going to win this award. Um, I did want to throw it up there, though, just because I think this movie had a lot kind of going against it with you know, the Robert Pattinson casting and the Snyderverse folks and just the weirdness that is the DCEU. And I, I came away pretty blown away with this movie. Um, it, it gives me a whole new different version of Gotham I've never seen before. It gives me a really cool detective noir story from Batman, from the Riddler. It gives me a different version of Batman that we've seen so many times played by other characters. I have never seen this type of Batman before, and I was really enthralled by Robert Pattinson's performance. It makes me think about Batman differently with the way Catwoman kind of calls him out and says, hey, you only focus on the big stuff. You don't help the little guy. Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman is incredible, and her dynamic with Robert Pattinson is great. I think the score is, is beautiful, too. And there's so much about this movie I love that I, I, I felt, kind of felt like I had to nominate it this year for Best Movie of the Year. Yeah, I had a great time with the Batman. I, like you said, Austin, it was a different take on Batman and Gotham. And uh, and uh, Commissioner Gordon, you know, we, like you said, it's like that detective noir type style. Uh, every, everything, everywhere, all at once. Definitely enjoyed that as well. Also saw that in theaters, and it was it was great. Like we talked about it earlier, it was cool to see all of her different uh, dimensions and realities, uh, and and the way she played her different characters. The kung fu scenes was cool, and just a fun fun movie with a cool message. I already know where I'm going to vote, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. And I'm going to vote Top Gun Maverick. I think universally, it was the best movie of the year. Uh, the action scenes, the plane scenes, the practical effects, the performances, uh, the fact that it's you know pretty family friendly. You can take anybody to see it. Um, and I think they'll have a good time. And the story, story was simple, but told well. I'll, uh, I'll vote for uh, Top Gun. I'll go next. As much as I love the Batman, I will be voting for everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, I think Top Gun Maverick is a very fun experience. It's it's thrilling. It's incredible. It, uh, I, I think the best description for it is a thrill ride. Uh, no movie this year had kind of the impact on me that Everything Everywhere All at Once did. The journey that the Daniels told us is is incredible, like we talked about before. 
However, this was the only movie this year that had both myself and my wife teary-eyed by the time the credits rolled. Um, the message is beautiful. The way the story unfolds where you, you don't know where it's headed and then the, the way it kind of hits you with its emotional weight. Um, it, it's pretty incredible. The performances are great. The visuals are stunning. There, there's so much about this movie to talk about. Um, hands down, I believe it's the best movie to come out this year. Yeah, I won't uh, talk too much about why I nominated it. I think you guys already covered it. I mean, it was just like probably the most beautiful like journey I took of this year. Uh, an emotional roller coaster and one that felt real at the same time while managing being funny and scary and sad and everything in between at different times. Um, this is really hard for me, though. Top Gun Maverick and Everything Everywhere All at Once are definitely my top two favorites of the year. I think they're the two best movies I've had the chance to see this year. And I don't really know where to go. Ugh, it's tough. Top Gun Maverick is just such an achievement. It is so fun, but it is also quite emotional. I was getting teary-eyed during that movie um, with that relationship between um, Iceman and Maverick, Maverick and Rooster. Like the way it's shot, I mean, it's just, it's like a, it's a feat. I don't know how they did it. And despite like using like familiar tropes and familiar stories and like uh, plotting and pacing, it still felt new. It was just packaged in such a fresh and fun way. I mean, everything about it is great. I guess really I'm just having to figure out if I want to reward a technical feat that way. And then something like Everything Everywhere, which is more of maybe like a, an emotional feat, also technically impressive, and especially like in the editing too. Ugh, man, I, I could truly flip a coin. I could go different movies on different days here, but I got to pick two day. I think for now, my best movie of 2022, my vote goes to the one that I was a bit more impressed by and emotionally invested in. It's not, it's close, but I think I'll go everything everywhere all at once today. Wow. I kind of thought you were going to go Top Gun. Uh, I thought they were going to go Batman there for a second. <laughs> no, Batman, <laughs> Batman's movie I liked, did not love it, unfortunately. Yeah, I was just left kind of speechless by everything everywhere all at once, which is kind of why I had to vote for it. All right. Well, with that, officially the best movie of the year and our final award of the night, the winner is for 2022, everything everywhere all at once. The Arnies have spoken, and we have declared a lot of awards this year and a lot of winners. Uh, so many awards even throughout the year with our kind of weekly episodes, but uh, I think the ones we ran down tonight are the best we could have given. I agree. I think everything is very fitting, uh, very deserved. The best one is still the biggest surprise of the year, going to kind of liking something. That's pretty funny. That feels very, <laughs> that feels very fitting for us, I feel like. I think that's the special, that's the jewel in the crown of tonight's award ceremony. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, there is your big fat award episode to start off 2023. Thank you all out there so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you want to write anything, leaving us a five star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you ever get your podcasts it really does help us out. At the Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for another super fun episode. We did something similar at the very beginning of last year, and basically, uh, this one is going to be our look ahead for 2023. We're going to take a you know a big long look at 
what we know as of right now, essentially, about the upcoming movie releases, the upcoming TV releases. We're going to kind of flag some of the ones that are big. Maybe they're smaller, just seem more interesting. And we're just going to kind of go through uh, month by month and talk about what we're looking forward to. It's just a fun episode. And it's always nice because it's going to give us a little primer for the rest of the year. And, you know, it'll be even crazier cut to one year from now. And I bet a lot of what we talk about is going to be getting uh, some awards. So it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, super excited for that. 2023 looks like a big year for some movies. July especially is going to be a crazy month for this podcast. Um, but also last week, we did put out our thoughts on all the kind of the, the recent news coming out of DC Studios these days. Uh, we had a lot of fun breaking all that down, talking about the James Gunn hiring, talking about Dwayne Johnson and Black Adam kind of being behind everything. So if you need someone to kind of take you through the journey that is DC Studios these days, be sure to go check that episode out. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of our awards? Any nominees we may have missed? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right, everybody. Once again, hope you enjoyed this. We hope you had a great, you know, long holiday these last few weeks. We hope you're looking forward to 2023. Uh, it's going to be a good year. I'm excited. So uh, we'll see you soon. See ya. Thanks, brother. Thanks, <laughs> brother.